worship you, Jesus. I worship you. Hallelujah, Jesus. It's good to be with family and friends this morning, lifting up the name of Jesus. It's good to also have a good friend of mine, Brother Kenny Custer and his wife, Bridget, and Lincoln. I, I saw Lincoln this morning. And um, Kenny, it's been a long time since we were scraping money to go to the Guad <laughs> in Bible school. Kenny was the man. He, if you needed something, you went to Kenny. If you didn't have cliff notes and, and you wanted to get on the, learn the good side of the teachers, you went to Kenny. He, he, was, he was the man. And he helped me out. I'll never forget going there. And, and he introduced me to the Guad. I think it took years off my life, but it was worth it. So let's, let's join together and welcome Brother Custer this morning. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm still scraping money. I'm just not going to the Guad as much. Amen. I, I remember my first experience. If you don't know what the Guad is, it was a restaurant back behind TBC, a little Mexican restaurant called the Guadalajara. We called it the Guad. It was more fitting than for what it would do to you. But I remember my first night at the Guad, uh, snuck out after curfew, slipped over to the Guad. And I had been to re restaurant, Mexican restaurants before that were taqueria style. And so you ordered a couple of burritos. Well, I did. The Guad's burritos were goritos. They were massive. I couldn't eat two of them. But uh, there was many a, many a people who claimed food poison from the Guad. I have an iron stomach, so I just kept taking them. But I remember one guy, he said, don't ever go back there. I, I was sick for days. And I thought, pretty good to me. So, but I can eat a whole lot, and usually it don't bother me. But anyway, it's good to be home this morning, and I feel like the Lord has just ministered to me uh, for this service, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to do the same, I hope, in return to you for what God has laid on my heart. If you have your Bible, would like to turn to the book of Luke, the fourth chapter. <clears throat> Amen. I probably could have gone a long time without stories of the Guad coming back to mind. Amen. There was always somebody on campus that could, could do things for you. And I remember when I first showed up on campus, there was a guy, he was going out, he was in his senior year. He had a key to every door on campus. How he got those, I don't know. But he, if there was a door that was locked, he had the key to it. And so you never were worried about being locked out of anything. You could just go find Jimmy Tony, and he could unlock a door for you. Amen. But there was always that guy. And I don't know if I was that guy. I know if you wanted to play Nintendo, you came to my room, and I got... I had the only Nintendo system on campus, and I got uh, all the spiritual ones told me, you're so, you're so off. You shouldn't have that here. This is Bible college. I said, well, I got to have entertainment every now and then. I don't pray 24 hours a day. Maybe I should have prayed more, but uh, I had Nintendo. Never, never doubted to come in my dorm and find the, the holy ones in there playing Nintendo and then go back to their room to read their Bible. 
But anyway, let's get to the Word of God this morning. Luke 4 and uh, 16, beginning at verse 22. I'm sorry, did I give it wrong? I did. Luke 4 and 16, and I'll, I'll fix it. Okay, yeah, Luke 4 and 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And then, uh, I didn't give this to Brother Baker, but in verse 29 it says, And rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill whereunto their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. They were going to toss him down the hill. And somehow he miraculously, he's God, it's not really miraculous, he, God, walked out past them, beyond them. They didn't notice that they had lost grip of him at some point. And, and a lot of people sometimes don't realize they've lost grip on God. And I'm not going to preach that this morning, but that's a good one. Mark 6, if you want to flip over there. Mark 6, and I'm going to go ahead and begin at verse 1. I had told him verse 3. And when he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hand? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and of Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. And Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could do there no mighty work, save that he laid his hand on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. Amen. If you will, put your Bibles down and let's just ask God to have his way this morning. Jesus, we love you. God, we're so glad to be in your house. We have experienced your presence in worship and we're so thankful for what you're beginning to do. God, let your word find its spot to seed today, Lord, that it would begin to work right now. We ask it in the name of Jesus. We take authority right now by the name of Jesus that is above every name, against every distraction, against every spirit that would come to hinder this service. And, Lord, right now we take dominion in the name of Jesus and let your word do the work. In Jesus' name we pray and we give you the glory and honor. We give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for honoring the word of the Lord by standing. Both of these passages that we read speak of Jesus 
and, and some would say they may speak of the same time frame, but he went back to his hometown, his, his place where he was raised up. And he should have been more welcome there than he was. But he had a custom either way. And he has a custom even this morning that the custom was that he went to the house of God. That it was, it was the day of worship and he went to the house of God. And he still has the custom. And a lot of us think that uh, customs are something that we can discount. But there's something to be said about being in the house of God. There's something to be said for being at church, especially in the day in which we live in. It's not time to back up. It's not time to get lazy and say, well, it's just a formality. I can worship God on my own. You know, most likely, if you don't worship Him here this morning, you're not going to worship Him at home. If you won't do it here where there's an atmosphere created and worship songs played and others of like mind gathered together, you're not going to go home and find your prayer closet. You're not going to go home and, and find a time to sit down and read your Bible and fast and pray during the week. If you don't, if you don't set aside the time uh, on a Sunday or a Wednesday uh, to say, God, uh, this is important to me. Uh, it's a custom I want to keep. Uh, but God found His way uh, to the house of God. Uh, and they said it was His custom. It meant that He was adamant about doing it, that He was going to be there. The custom was uh, that God was going to be in the house of God. That custom's still going on today. I promise you uh, that before you woke this morning, uh, God's anticipation of what was going to take place uh, in this service uh, was already here. Uh, God was already waiting, uh, and He was thinking, well, I wonder who's going to get up and come today. I, I wonder who's going to make the sacrifice uh, to follow the custom. Uh, you know, the sad thing is uh, that a lot of people think, well, when I need something, I'll go to church. When I need something from Him, I'll show up and get something. The, the sad thing is that on the days when God could have done something for them in preparation for what was coming, they decided to stay home and missed out, and whether physically or spiritually. Some of us have showed up this morning and still haven't come to church. It doesn't matter if you come physically or spiritually or not. God is still in the house and He still wants to work and He still wants to do something amazing. He's still God and He still has that ability. Amen. Whether you come or not, it's not the question. It is whether God is able to do what God said He can do. And I promise you this morning, God is able to do more than you could ever imagine He could do. He's more, he's more able to blow your mind today than He was yesterday. He's not slack, he's not backing up, and he's not turning around. In this day, in this hour, I promise you, God wants to show up and do more than he's ever done before. Do you realize the witness that needs to go forth from God's people saying that God is able to still do what we say he can do? God is still able to open blinded eyes. God is still able to heal the sick. He's still able to fix your problems, and he needs someone to give him the opportunity to do it. More now than ever do we need people uh, set on church pews uh, to be godly uh, and to show the world that we still have a God. Do you realize that we live in a nation that is not godly anymore? My heart is so heavy for the people around me that live in my neighborhood. Your neighbors this morning, as you drove to church, uh, their cars were parked. In their driveways. 
We don't go to church anymore like we did 30 years ago. And 30 years ago, I remember the Satanism and the witchcraft that was working in the city of Lamarck where I was just a young boy being put on a church bus to go to church. I remember shortly after my parents getting in church, a family getting contacted and brought to church and the husband was in witchcraft and the wife was in witchcraft. The children were confused. I remember that man making a table walk across the floor because of the witchcraft that he could work and that today we stand back and somehow blink our eye and wink at the things of the of, of the devil and think that God's not able to stop that those people receive the Holy Ghost their lives were changed God is still able to do something amazing this morning if we would allow him to see us moving in his direction Amen, amen. I am so stirred in the spirit uh, because the churches uh, around the world today uh, have become so self-help oriented. Uh, you can't talk yourself uh, out of the problem that you found yourself in. Uh, there's no book uh, other than this book uh, that can get you out of the mess that you find yourself in. Uh, you might talk yourself happy. Uh, you might talk yourself uh, into a day or two. Uh, uh, but you will not find the peace and joy that you need uh, until you get in the altar and find yourself on your face uh, with tears flowing down your face uh, saying, God, I can't talk out of this. Uh, all I need is you this morning. My God, I'm not going to back down this morning. The Holy Ghost has already confirmed to me somebody's getting deliverance in this house this morning. Somebody's going to get transformed and changed. You're going to find the opportunity this morning has already been presented for you to be changed dynamically. God's not waiting on the altar service. That's fine if you want to wait till then. If we wait, if maybe God comes in the next five minutes, I don't know. But if we wait that long, that's fine. God's still able to do it. And He still wants to do it. But God showed up to church in a time that they called it just a custom. The fact was He showed up and was ready to do something amazing. He was ready to do something just, just so mind-blowing and the fact of the matter is he's still the same today yesterday and forever and he showed up and he simply made the offer he read the scripture and he said i'm here he said the spirit of the lord has anointed me that i might preach the gospel to the poor i've read that many times and i know you've read it and heard it and the gospel to the poor and, and many people have translated that to be, well, let's go to the ghetto and let's knock on the doors and let's offer them gift cards and, and iPods and things to get them to church. And we have, the church we're helping out in in Little Rock has baptized, I lost count at 125 in the past nine, 10 months. And I, I don't know how many, I know if we had 15 in one night received the Holy Ghost about three weeks ago. Baptize five more the next service. Those people, we had an evangelist come through that went into a, a low-income area and began to drag people and get people to come to church because he wanted to preach the gospel to the poor. Don't, don't misunderstand me this morning. Everybody needs the gospel. That includes the guy next door to you. That includes the person down the street. That includes your children's teacher. That includes your co-worker. 
It doesn't mean those that are poor and stretch. What he said, uh, the, the better translation is uh, that I came to preach the gospel to the hungry, uh, to those that are willing to beg uh, and say, God, I don't need anything else uh, except you. Uh, I don't know about you this morning, uh, but I'm still hungry uh, for a move of God. Uh, I'm still hungry uh, for the power of God. Uh, I'm still hungry. Uh, Lord, preach the gospel to this ho- poor boy. Uh, preach the gospel to me. Uh, let the salvation uh, of you come to my life. Uh, and change me, transform me. I don't want to stand back and say, well, it must be for them because they don't have as much as I do. I don't want to entice somebody to church with a gift card and a, and a free meal. Oh, it's great if you want to give them something, but give it to them as a blessing. Don't say, well, come to the altar. Why don't you say, look at this. God did something for me, and this is what He's going to do for you. He's still the God that came to me in my low points, in my dark hours, and offered me something while I was hungry. There needs to be a hunger inside of us that is uncontainable, that is uncontrollable, that is unquenchable. Do you understand the place in which we're living in and that the church is not overrunning? There's too many empty seats. There's too many places for us to fill up, to sit back and say, well, if they're just not coming and asking for it, do you know they're asking for something? But they're asking in the wrong place. Why don't you hold it up and say, this is what you need. This is what you're looking for. Not drugs. Not not alcohol, not witchcraft, not the sex, lies, and drugs of the world. But what you need is God in your life. If they weren't hungry, our world would not be controlled by media. The thing that I'm amazed at is how much we will sacrifice to be entertained. The world wants to be fed. The problem is that the stream that is feeding them is corrupt and evil. The church needs to be online to say, you know what? Here it is. The gospel to the poor, the hungry, the needy, the broken. And Jesus stood in their midst and said, I'm here to preach the gospel to you. And then he said, I'm here to heal the brokenhearted. Brokenhearted there is literally translated, better translated, uh, shattered emotionally. There are so many groups that churches are forming for people to sit around in circles to talk about their troubles. There's one called Grief Share. There's one called Celebrate Recovery. And on and on and on and on the list goes. To sit down and listen to someone else talk about how they're so broken and hurt. Do you know I have a place like that and I have a, have someone I go to and talk to about that? It's an altar. It's a place that I can find myself on my knees and, and once again say, God, I still ain't over this, but once again I'm coming to you because you said that you would heal this shattered and broken emotionally heart, that you would help me. I don't need to sit down with 20 or 30 of you and say, well, you know, it was a dark week and I don't know how I was ever going to make it through. The problem is that those people that want to sit and talk about their troubles are not going to the great physician and not kneeling down and praying and saying, God, would you heal me? once more it's not a sin to go back to the altar for the same trouble it's not a sin to go back and say God I didn't quite get over it oh my God 
Would somebody understand this morning that, that you keep bringing the same mess to Him, but you realize He keeps giving you the same solution? Just because you go back and the devil brings it back to you and you stumble again doesn't mean that you're not able to overcome. Oh my, I promise you this morning, there's no place in your week that you're reminded of your problems than you were this morning while the music was going. The devil slipped in and began to talk in your ear and tell you, you know what? You messed up. You did that again. You failed. Don't go back to the altar. It's going to be the same thing. You're going to, you're going to come up short again. You know what? You didn't come up short. You didn't come up without. When you came to the altar and God worked in you, He strengthened you to get you through it. You didn't come up short. You just, just somehow allowed the devil to trick you into thinking He didn't give you enough. I promise you, uh, if you get back in the altar, you know what? You may have to go back again and again and again and again. Do you know what a relationship is? Brother Jay, I hadn't seen you in six months. We're still friends. We might have texted or talked in a time or two. I don't know. But our relationship is still intact because you know what? I'm back to it. Does he know all my troubles and problems? No. But God does. And I go back to him. And I say, God, I messed up. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't let you fix it. I, I took it back again. But I need you to fix it again. And he says, okay, still working. I still can do it. Somebody this morning needs to allow God to do it once more. Once more, don't feel like it's failure to go back to the altar. It's the only place you can check your relationship. It's the only place that you can find that He's still healing, that He's still working, He's still delivering, He's still the God that we say He is, and He's still able to do amazing things. He's still able to restore you. Oh, praise God. Somebody's going to walk out of here transformed this morning. He said, I'm here to, do, to preach deliverance to the captive. The captive there, and this is a little Bible study for you if you had not figured it out, is literally, in our best, in our best understanding, it's not that they were uh, held captive for something they did. A lot of times when you hear captive, you think, well, they messed up and they were put into prison. This captive here that, that Jesus said he is able to deliver is as a POW. As one who was fighting the good fight, uh, who was in the ranks uh, and going the right direction uh, and somehow was tripped up and snared uh, and caught back and held against his will, uh, still wanting to go the direction of God, uh, but somehow the emotion and the trouble around him, uh, the enemy had built up a barrier and so now he's held captive uh, as a prisoner of war, not able to go to where he knows he wants to go. Uh, how many times uh, have you said, God, I see on the horizon uh, the blessing, uh, the deliverance, uh, the place that I want to go to, uh, but somehow I can't see a way to get past what the enemy has put in front of me. Uh, I can't see a way to trudge on. Uh, I can't continue to move. Uh, I can't seem to put one foot in front of the other. Lord, I'm held captive. And he said, I'm here to preach deliverance. <clears throat> now we think that preaching means to just get up and scream. That you're free. Won't you move? Won't you move? You're free. 
But what he said when he said, I'm going to preach deliverance was, I'm going to commission and give you a pardon and get you out of the mess. So this morning, somebody needs to realize, you know what? I am moving on from this place. I see the place that I want to go. I want to get back in step. I want to get back in the ranks. And there's a place I've got to move to. Deliverance to the captive. Freedom in this house. He said, healing to the blind. Now I don't have to I don't have to go back to the Greek and Hebrew on that one because God said He would heal, and literally what he, what He said to us, I'm I am healing, I'm still healing. I I'm so tired of people not giving God credit when He does something for them miraculously and healing. I know that Brother Hughes had prayer for my father, and it was a it was a horrifying incident. I mean, he woke up one morning and looked at my mom and knew her and knew nothing else. Knew no one else. Didn't know what work he had done in the yard that week. Didn't, didn't know what was going on. Mom thought he had a stroke, rushed him to the hospital. We all began to text and call to get prayers going up. You know, when it all came down to it, what, what they didn't know what it was. And they, it looks like this, it looks like that. And they, they, it, all, all it came down to was, you know, we're going to remove this little thing for some reason. For some reason, it has just swollen. And, and, and it's not cancer. It's not a tumor. It's not anything. It's just like a sack that has grown on the outside of the brain. Let's just remove it and everything's good. He's in his right mind this morning. He's in church this morning. And, and I know that, the, you know, a lot of people say, well, the doctors did something amazing. Well, I'll give God credit for giving the doctors the talent to do what they did, but I'm going to give God credit to where credit is due. God can intervene in any situation. And I want so I want I would love to sit here this morning and say that God that He went in and it was just gone. But it but it didn't happen that way. But you know what? God is still on the throne. And I do know that He's still a healer in the miraculous. I, I do know that He was still able to do things in the miraculous. The problem is that sometimes we get back to thinking, well, if it had just come out all right, I'll be happy. No, I don't want it to just come out all right. I, I want it to come out to, to the glory of God because the world needs to know that He's able to do something. The world needs to know that He's still a powerful working God. Praise God. He said that he would heal, recovering of sight to the blind. And he would set at liberty those that are bruised. Those that are bruised. What literally happens in the Greek word that is translated there. The bruised one has had his joy taken away. Have you ever seen an abuse victim? Physical abuse, mental abuse. Most often times when you see one who has recently been abused, they're bruised. Oh, they're not, usually they're not beat to a bloody pulp. They're not, they're not stitched. Usually there's a bruising that goes on because the abuser is not trying to kill them. He's trying to break them. A wife that is battered usually gets a sock to the eye, usually gets beat just enough that the, that, the, that the bruising under the skin shows up. And, but you find that person after a while. I, I remember dealing with a, a young person's mother who was abused. And the father was very, very abusive. And she would come to talk to me about the, the boy. And as she would stand in front of me, she would look 
at my chest. She would never look me in the eye because her husband had beat her to the place that he knew she was in subjection, that she would never look him in the eye again. She never would get on his level, and she took away his joy, her joy. He took her joy away by abusing her and bruising her. And what Jesus said was, uh, for those of you that have been bruised, uh, that have been broken and beaten, uh, that you have been abused by someone uh, or something, uh, some situation, uh, the devil keeps coming at you. Uh, he doesn't hit you hard enough to kill you. Uh, he doesn't hit you hard enough uh, to knock you out of the fight. Uh, but he hits you hard enough uh, that it hurts uh, and it's bruising uh, and it's pain and it lasts for a little while. And somehow through that course, uh, you decide. I, I no longer need to lift my eyes and look uh, to the Father. I, I'll just keep my head down uh, and maybe uh, I'll just stay under the radar and no one uh, will notice uh, that I'm hurting, uh, that my joy has been beat out of me and taken away. Uh, would God restore joy to someone uh, this morning? Uh, would you allow Him uh, to move in uh, and say, lift your head uh, and look to me uh, and let me restore to you. Uh, let me remove the bruising. He said he would restore their joy. And he offered it to them as he stood in the church house. In the place of worship, he said, I am here to preach gospel to the poor, healing to the brokenhearted. Oh, he said, I'm here to deliver you and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And what he said there was, you have to go back and research it all the way back to Exodus, to the Numbers and Leviticus and to the law. The acceptable year of the Lord was every 50 years there was what they called Jubilee. Jubilee meant that if you had run a business or run a farm or blacksmith, whatever, and you fell on hard times and somehow you had to, to sell your business and to someone. And, and maybe you had to sell yourself along with it to keep uh, the, the family fed. You became a bond servant. You became someone else's servant. And you worked for them for, for meals and things. And you, you were in servitude to them. It meant that the maximum time that you could do that for was 50 years. That every 50 years at the year of Jubilee, when they would blow the trumpet, we've always heard about the Jubilee trumpet, they would literally stand on a certain day in the month and they would lift the trumpet and they would blow. And as the trumpet blew, that meant the Jubilee had come. And for that year, everything reverted back. Uh, the 50 years you had been in bond to someone, uh, the 50 years you had been held to that, uh, your business, your family, all was reverted back. Uh, and there was payment given to you uh, for the number of years you were in service. Uh, and you rendered unto them certain things, uh, uh, a payment to them as a, as a part of that. And, and everything was set back to a level. Everything was restored to you uh, that you had lost through the, the process of time and through the pain of life. Everything was given back to you. And they understood that, that every 50 years that would happen. So if, the, if in 35 years all of a sudden you messed up, you knew in 15 years everything was going to be fixed back. And when Jesus stood up in the temple that day and said, uh, He said, I am here to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And He went on and said, 
in this this moment, what you hear me saying is now fulfilled in your ears. Uh, what Jesus stood up and said was, uh, you've been through hell. Uh, you've gone through trouble. Uh, you've had your problems. Uh, you're blind. You're, you're broken. Uh, you're withered. Uh, you're pained. Uh, you're, your joy is gone. And all of that, he stood up and said, but... You don't have to wait any longer. I am the Jubilee. I am the Jubilee. What you've been needing this morning. He said, I am the Jubilee. I am that one, that thing you've been waiting on. Somebody needs to realize that you've been waiting and waiting and thinking that something's going to change. Well, the problem is you're waiting on what man can do with a trumpet. And God is saying, I'm standing in your midst and I am the Jubilee. And the response we just gave him is the response that should have been received. I mean, he stood in their midst, offered them. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if, if I wasn't the one standing up here this morning, if Jesus himself were to walk in and stand here, now his word is as good as his presence. But if he literally, physically manifests himself and stood here and said, I am the Jubilee. I am, I am fulfilling what you have to wait on normally. I, don't, I, I would make a beeline. I would run to him. I would chase him. He wouldn't get out of the building. He wouldn't get out of my sight without me getting a hold of him and saying, I need some restoration. I, I need some healing. I need some joy. I need some, I need some things fixed around here. But no one moved. No one ran to him. He offered them something amazing. And no one received it. No one did anything of the sort. They looked at him. And they said, Isn't that Joseph's boy? Don't we know you? You've been gone for, been gone for a little while. We know you. Your sister's sitting over there. You're Simon's brother. You're Jonah's brother. You're, you're, you're the brother of these boys that are wrong to Joseph and Mary. You're Mary's boy. And I read in Mark, he said, I could do no great work there. A few, few people I could heal, but he just marveled at their unbelief. He just looked and said, wow, they don't believe anymore. They don't have faith. They had made him commonplace. And we live in a world that our neighbors don't know him. There are people on these pews this morning that have heard about him, but you don't know him. There are people that have been in church for years that know about him, but they still don't know him. Church is an awesome thing, and I, I, I wouldn't change it one bit. I thought about it this morning. I stand over here and worship and singing, and you know just how awesome it is to be able to come in and do this, and to feel His presence, and to lift your hands unfettered, and just allow God to speak to you and minister. You know, you'll never find anything more beautiful than getting into the presence of God and worshiping Him. You need the altar experience. You need to. You need salvation. But worship is one of those things that just just come back to it again and again, and it refreshes and and it just does something amazing to you. 
I wouldn't change it one bit. But I want to be closer to Him. And no one received Him that morning. We know of God and His miraculous by the people that He does it to. We know more of Jesus and how He operated in the Bible not because of the things that He said but because of those that He did it to. We know that He opened the blinded eyes. We know that He healed the sick. We know that He raised the dead not because, they, not because He said He did but because they showed up and were testimony to it. You know, we don't know much about those who wouldn't receive it. This text does not even give us a glimpse much past the fact that they wouldn't receive Him. It doesn't give us a glimpse at how horrible their lives were when they left there and said, well, he's just Joseph's son. He's just, just that boy from Mary. You know, I don't have any need for him to talk to me that way. I don't have any need for him to stand up and act like he's something. That, it doesn't even give us a glimpse into that. It just says they thrust him out and we're going to toss him down the hill because they could not, would not believe that he was able to do what he said he would. And we live in a nation that would love to take away our faith and love to take away the fact that we believe that he's able to do what he said he would do this morning, that he's able to be our jubilee. Praise God. And I'm going to try and stop here. But they made him commonplace. Tossed him out. Peter, Luke twenty two, thirty two, conversation Jesus is having with Peter. And he says to Peter, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith, that your belief fails you not. Now, Peter has been the guy that if you go back and read the accounts in the gospel, He's the guy. He's almost always mentioned first. Jesus takes him from naming him Simon to Peter. Simon means wavering or or double-minded, basically. Unstable. And Peter means solid as a rock. He's rock steady. Jesus says, you're not going to be called Simon. You're going to be Peter. And so when you look at Peter, you see this man uh, who had been involved in everything. Uh, Simon carried a basket and picked up morsels of bread. Uh, Simon took the loaf of bread and it just kept multiplying as he handed it out. Simon handed out fish. Uh, Simon saw the miraculous. Uh, Simon was there when he opened blinded eyes. Uh, Simon was there when he lifted people up and raised them. Uh, Simon was there when he prayed. Uh, Simon was there when he ministered. Uh, Simon was in church uh, all the time. And Jesus comes to him in the last little bit of his earthly life and says, Simon, I prayed for you. The devil is going to try and sift you as wheat. But I've prayed that your, uh, your belief, your faith does not fail you. And when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. Strengthen those around you. Now I thought, wow. It must be awesome to be that close to God, to have stood there and watched Him do amazing, miraculous things. That would convert you. That would change you. But Simon Peter says, Lord, I'm ready both to go into prison. I'm ready to suffer. I'm ready for it to happen to me for your namesake. 
I'll go with you. Let's go. And Jesus looks at him and says, before that rooster crows three times, rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he said, Simon, but I've prayed for you that your faith fails you not. And when you are converted, and I've gone back to this time and time again, what would have happened on that day when he stood up and said his jubilee if people would have believed? What would happen in this house this morning? Now, I know I'm amongst people that believe. I know I'm amongst people that profess faith. I know I'm amongst people that say, Lord, I would go to prison. I would go to suffer. I would go to the very edge with you. But there's something lacking that even Peter did not have. He said, Peter, when you're converted. You see, the Lord has worked on me and worked on me about this. I said, God, what, what did Peter lack? What was he missing? I mean, we've been in church. We know how to do it. We, we have felt the presence of God this morning. We have been ministered to so sweetly by His Spirit. And, and there's nothing wrong with it. We sing a song, and it's very prevalent. And, and I'm not knocking the song because I actually quite enjoy the song. But I asked my wife the other day, I said, Would you rather be right or be a friend of God? She sat there for a minute and I thought I was going to stump her. And she said, I'd rather be right. I said, yeah, I would too. Jesus, they called him a friend of publican and sinners. He's a friend to everyone. The problem is this morning that whatever state your soul is in, that you could walk in here today and feel the presence of God and experience Him and He will whisper in your ear, I am your friend and I will never leave you nor forsake you. But it doesn't mean that you're right. Right means that you came down and you found a place to pray through and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues and you went down in the water in His name and you came up and you were filled with the Holy Ghost baptized in His name. That makes you right. But being a friend of God just means that you could possibly be a publican or sinner. You could possibly some that He just wants to eat lunch at your house and try and reach you. And Peter had lived near God for so long and been to church and he was a friend of God. He was the closest of friends with him. And Jesus said to him, Lord, I'm going to wait and pray that you would be converted, that something would change inside of you. God, would you convert us this morning? What he was saying in the real translation was, Peter, I've prayed for you that when you go through the trial that you deny me and you cannot stand on your own two feet in my presence, that when all of that is past, you'll weep bitterly. You'll go out into the wilderness and you'll cry and you'll weep and you'll pray through and you'll find that when all of that is done that I will superimpose myself in you. He said when you're converted, what he was saying, let's stand together. I'll I'll shut up. But what he was saying was, Peter, when you are superimposed upon, what that means is that though I'm just an old sinner 
And my body's scarred from the life of sin and the life I've lived and the things that, that people can see and point out inside me and look at me and say, I remember when you denied him. I, I remember when you came up short. I, I remember. I find it amazing that nowhere in the text ever in the Bible does it ever bring anybody coming back to Peter saying, you know what? I can't listen to you on the day of Pentecost. I can't listen to you when you tell me that because I remember you denied him. No, because Jesus uh, said, boy, when you're converted, when you realize what he was saying, uh, was it when you are broken down and you just come back to me and say, God, I'm sorry. Would you be my jubilee again? Would you be the thing that restores everything? And he says, yeah, and I'm going to go you one further. Come here. Let me wrap myself around you. When they look at you, they're not going to see you. They're not going to see me. They're going to see the God of grace and mercy. When they looked at Peter, when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, he had authority in the name of Jesus, not because he had denied him, but because he had been converted, because something got a hold of him and changed his life. It is to take... Now, I I believe that tattoos are an addiction and an evil spirit. I believe that. And I don't believe they have any place on the body of a child of God through the temple of the Holy Ghost. But I know a lot of people that have gone and gotten a tattoo and said, I don't like it anymore. Now, there's a way to get it removed. It's painful, they say, and lasers and all that. But there's a new thing, that a product you wipe on, and over a few months it takes it away. So if you have one, you want to remove it, called wrecking bomb. But anyways... Those people that have the tattoos they don't like, when they decide they want it changed, they go back to the tattoo parlor. Boy, this is the worst illustration ever, isn't it? I'm preaching as tattoos and I'm using one as illustration. But they would go back to the tattoo and say, how can you hide this? If it's a name, can we, can we put a heart over it? Can we put a, can, can, if, it if it's, a, if it's a, a head, can we change it, make it look like something else? But as Peter walked out that day, Lord, I denied you. And everybody, they they looked at him and they said, hey, I know you. Your speech betrays you. I I saw you with him. He walked out of there. I I don't know him. I'm not part of him. I just imagine, you ever seen a Christian decide that they're against God? When they leave the church, they don't just leave the church. Well, they do it. They go as far as they can to get away from that identity. And I don't doubt Peter was any different. He was just like you and me. He was human. The words that must have came out of his mouth. The actions that must have took place as they accused him. I know you. You're part of him. No, I'm not. And that rooster crows. And he heads out the corridor. You know, Jesus was just down the hall, looked at him and saw him and how broken he must have been. And he looked, he headed out and, and wept out and wept bitterly. Broken. And that scarring, that thing that should have stayed on him, should have been a part of him. Jesus said, look, look. I prayed for you already. I knew you were going to do it. But in my prayer, I, I didn't just pray that you would be renewed. I should have had you stand 
you want to sit down, you can. I just feel the Holy Ghost. We, we come to the altar and we pray for people to be renewed. Oh, and how great it is to be renewed. But you know what? You get renewed when you get in the presence of God. We, we've been renewed already this morning. Jesus, I worship you. I pray. When you were singing, you felt the Holy Ghost. You were, you were getting renewed. We need to quit praying for renewal because renewal puts you back into, it refills the bottle back to full. It puts you back to where you were, the level that you were on. If you were never anything more than a sinner, that's all you still are. If you were never anything more than barely hanging on, that's all you are when you're renewed. It doesn't elevate you any further. But Jesus said, I'm not going to renew you, Peter. You're not going to deny me again. You're not going to be the shell that's broken. I'm going to take you back and I'm going to superimpose on you. No one's ever going to see that you denied me. No one's ever going to accuse you. They're going to stand and listen as you preach on the day of Pentecost and something happened in their soul and they receive you and they receive me and they receive the Word of God because He said, I'm not going to renew you. I'm going to convert you. I'm going to change your soul. My God, my God. I don't know about you this morning. Lord, renew me every chance you get. But it only takes one conversion. We think of conversion as well when, when that good old other denomination comes in. When that good old sinner comes in and gets a holy... When they, when they get that, boy, they've been converted. No, they've been saved. But I prayed for you. That when you're converted, that you would be able to strengthen someone else. That you would be able to reach someone else. He's a jubilee this morning. He'll restore everything beyond renewal. He'll give everything back. But when He does it, allow Him to go the step further and convert you. If we could ever get converted, if we could ever get changed and renewed down in the presence of God and allow Him to superimpose Himself upon us, we wouldn't be able to rest until we reach the co-worker. We wouldn't be able to rest until we touch the life of someone. We wouldn't be able to rest until we stopped and knocked the door and said, Can I bring you or your children to church? My wife and I, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not tooting my own horn this morning. But our outreach director was running a bus and a van to get to church on the morning. Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday night. They run the bus every service. Sometimes coming in as much as an hour late because he would make two or three trips bringing people to church. We drive 35 miles to church. I told my wife, we had a, a service one night and I felt just, we both were in agreement. Went to him. I said, you got anybody we can pick up? And we, we're coming along. We've got to be passing somebody. He said, yeah. Pastor had said, you know, if you can do something, do it. We were the only ones that went to him and said, look, we'll do something. It was a little inconvenience. 35 miles, you got to get up pretty early. Sometimes I'd go drop my wife off and go back and pick them up and drag them. Sometimes two, sometimes one, sometimes six. Didn't complain. 
happy to do it. And I've been, been feeling a little convicted because they bought a new van and we don't have to do it anymore. Now I feel like, you know what? Somebody else will be picking up somewhere. Somebody I could be converted into helping. And I know that I've been all over the place this morning. But I know this is what God had. He's speaking to someone this morning in Jubilee. It wasn't just renewing. It was setting back to a higher level. Would you bow your head this morning? Would you just think about God for a moment? God, none of us in here are innocent. None of us in here have never denied you. None of us in here have ever failed, not failed you. But God, all of us are in need of converting. All of us need you to superimpose yourself upon us. If we're ever going to reach the world, if we're ever going to see revival in the last day, we don't have time to waste. If you're in here this morning and this is your first time in this service or maybe you've just been coming a little while and you don't quite understand everything, understand this. God wants to do something miraculous for you. God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. God wants to do everything He said He would do in Jubilee, that He would heal the broken heart, that He would restore. I want us to find a place this morning in this altar. I I don't know how to close it. I don't know how to do anything other than let the Holy Ghost operate. But I know that there are several people in this place that God has impressed upon me already that you need to make a move this morning. You need to allow yourself to come to God as the brokenness that you're hiding, the brokenness you're trying to hide from Him is not hidden. And what He's doing is looking at you with compassion. He's not looking at you with guilt or conviction. Which everybody in this place, I'm not trying to single anybody out, would you find a place, step out and find a place around this altar and begin to pray.